Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Friday, August 13th, 2021. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. I didn't know where that phrase came from, so I looked it up. It originated in the 1932 Western film called The Western Code. Regardless of its origin, we all get the concept. Something or someone has got to go because the conflict resulting from their presence isn't sustainable. I think scripture is clear that our hearts operate in a similar fashion. God can be the only object of devotion in our hearts. God doesn't share his throne with anyone or anything, and our hearts are no exception. Let's keep that thought in the background as we walk through the 95th Psalm today. And the headline given to us is this, let us sing songs of praise. The first three verses of Psalm 95 say, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great and a great king above all gods. Verse three bears repeating, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. A.W. Tozer says in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, the low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. The third distinctive at Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley is this, we seek to maintain a high view of God. Now, most Christians I know would shout aloud amen to that. On paper, this concept sounds good and right. We know that it's right based on what we read in the Bible. Even our conscience bears witness to this being right. We want to worship our God and we want him to be glorified. But once we move from paper to practice, it can be a hard concept to put our arms around. How do we develop and maintain a high view of God? Well, to keep things simple, I want to give you a concept that I was recently thinking about after hearing a teaching by a reputable Bible teacher where he unpacked the holiness of God. I want you to consider the juxtaposition between two concepts or two mindsets, God period and God and, God period and God and. Let me explain. God period is the idea that God is alone worthy of praise. Nothing gets put on the same level as God. It's God period. He is above all created things. And since he is holy set apart, there is absolutely nothing in the same category as him. This brings me to the mindset of God and I believe this mindset has crept into the American church with great force. This is the mindset where we falsely put other idols on the same level or in the same category as God. I want to give you three God ands that I believe are lowering our view of God in America, God and country, God and family, God and freedom. Are you living in the mindset of God period? or God and. And I think it's a subtle difference. I mean, is our country important? Absolutely. But only as a means to glorify God. Saving our country is not on the same level as worshiping our God. Is our family important? I think God gives us a resounding yes in his scripture, but only as a means to glorify him. Is our freedom important? Our freedom in Christ is important. All other freedom is fleeting and should never be sought at the expense of obedience to scripture. If you read through the Bible, you'll find that the most faithful servants of God are those who live in this mindset of God, period. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and so on. 
these men and women that we can read about in Hebrews 11, and we can read about in the entirety of Scripture. And in our Old Testament reading today, we see Nehemiah living out this mindset once again. Chapter 7 of Nehemiah starts with the wall finished. They've completed the wall. And right away, we see Nehemiah puts the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites on guard. And as one commentator put it, gatekeepers, singers, Levites is a typical grouping of worship officials, so it is surprising to find them in connection with guarding the walls. Yet the guarding of the city was ultimately related to establishing the worship of Yahweh in his temple. You see, Nehemiah saw the building of the wall as a means to an end, a means to glorify God, to worship God. And that's how we should see everything else in our life. When we start pairing up things with God, we not only lower our view of God, but we heighten our view of those other things, not as a means to worship God, but as a means in and of themselves. Verse 4 says, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. The rebuilding of the walls was first priority, and this may speak to the fact that there wasn't a very large population to fill the city at that time. And that may be why Nehemiah goes on to list out, for the rest of the chapter, a nearly identical census to what Ezra listed off previously. And this may speak to Nehemiah's next concern, which is to repopulate the city now that the walls are reconstructed. Then in chapter 8, Ezra comes back on the scene to read the book of the law to the entire assembly. Some things we're seeing happening here. Everyone was gathered to hear this reading. So everyone came together to hear this reading. The purpose was to worship God as, says, the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, the leaders were concerned with everyone understanding what the book of the law meant as they listened. So it says in verses seven and eight, that a group of men helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And it appears in verses nine through 12, the assembly is broken over their sin after hearing the book of the law read out loud. They really see who God is in the book of the law, and they really understand that they've transgressed, that they have broken the book of the law. They have not followed it. And so Nehemiah declares the day holy, urging the assembly to stop crying and grieving, but rather to be joyful. Although they should be repentant over their sin, they should live in the joy of the Lord as he is a gracious God. And in God's providence, the leaders realize the next day that they are in the month of the Feast of the Booths, probably something they just read about in the book of the law. This feast was to remember when Israel was in the desert, living in booths, and how God had brought them out of Israel. So they would live in temporary booths while celebrating God's provision. And it says in verses 17 and 18, And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. So they had not been celebrating this feast. They had not been doing what God asked them to do. And they read it in the book of the law and they immediately repented. And that's good for us to think about when we read what God has said in his Bible and it convicts us, we should act immediately with a broken heart and be joyful that God has revealed his truth to us. So thinking about today's passage in chapter seven and eight, what can we learn? First, no matter what task God has asked us to complete, it can always be an act of worship. Nehemiah puts the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites on the guard because the whole purpose of rebuilding the wall was to rebuild the city, repopulate the city, and ultimately worship the Lord in Jerusalem. What tasks has God given you to do? Are you thinking of them as a way to worship God? How can you worship God at your job? How can you worship God through parenting? How can you worship God in your serving post at church, regardless of the scope of that post? 
If Nehemiah can worship God through rebuilding a wall, certainly all God-given tasks can be done as an act of worship, if we tune our hearts to God's purposes and not our own. And then second, what can we learn from the reading of the book of the law? Reading God's law is powerful. God's words have the power to convict. God's words have the power to restore us to his path. I regularly sit down with folks from the church and talk about what's going on in their life, and we discuss how to seek God for healing, conviction, restoration. I always say if I was a doctor with a prescription pad, 90% of the time I would write down, read your Bible and pray every day. I'd sign it, tear it off, and hand it to them and check in with them in a few weeks. God's word has a way of lighting up the path that was once dark, showing us where we need to take our next steps, where we need to repent. Here, the Israelites are convicted of sin, renewed in the joy of the Lord, and reminded about God's provision in Egypt by the Feast of the Booths. Are you convicted of sin regularly? Are you walking in the joy of the Lord? Do you remember God's promises? Read God's word, read God's word, read God's word. And after we read God's word, what do we do next? We do it. We do what it says. And we see Jesus explain just how important doing his word is in Luke today. This is a pretty short passage, so I want to focus on one specific part. Starting in verse 27, we read about this woman yelling from the crowd, Blessed is the womb that bore you, she yells to Jesus. This onlooker is basically shouting her adoration for Mary, who gave birth to Christ. But then Jesus responds saying, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now is Jesus demeaning Mary? No, he's not demeaning her. But he also never intended for her to be propped up to deity like some religions have. No, she was used by God to glorify God as a means to glorify God, just like you and I. Instead, he is elevating the idea of obeying the word of God. Jesus says something very similar in Luke 8, 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In a world that loves to prop up celebrity, this is a great reminder. It doesn't matter what connections you have or what family you were born into. The great equalizer is this. Those who hear the word of God and keep it are blessed. I think this is a great encouragement to those of us with no connections or impressive family lineage. And it's a great humbler to those who do have those things. And as we keep the word of God, it will transform our lives to look very different than they looked when we walked in our old self. Our New Testament reading in Colossians 3, 12 through 25 offers us a look at this in action. Yesterday, we talked about the behavior that is unbecoming of a new creation in Christ, things that we are to put to death when we are reborn in Christ. Today, Paul gives us several virtues to put on. Paul says that we are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. But then he gives us the binding agent, so to speak, the most important virtue that codifies all these virtues together. He says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. I think it's important to pause for a moment here and acknowledge that what Paul is asking us to do is impossible. You can't do it. If you're trying to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another, forgiving complaints against you, loving well, living in the peace of Christ. If you are day after day trying to muster up the strength to do these things, you will never be able to. But I have good news for you. You can have victory in this entire list if you attempt to live it out in the strength of the Lord. Perhaps you're tired. Perhaps your family, ministry, work, or friends are exhausting because you've been trying to love them in your own strength. So how do you put on these things in the strength of the Lord? First, we need to be more concerned with Christ's reputation than our own. 
Are we putting Christ on display for his glory at the expense of looking perfect ourselves? Second, we need to be more concerned with Christ's methods than our own. Most of the great ministry work of the church is done from the knees. We must pray for God to work through us in his way. Third, be more concerned with God's timing than yours. When it came time for Christ to go to the cross, he asked the Father if the cup could pass, but he ultimately submitted to him, stating, not my will, but your will be done. Now, Paul continues in our passage with some rules for Christian households, and I want to frame this whole passage the way that God frames it. If you look at each command in this passage, all of them are a means to do the Lord's will. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And we know that the love Paul is speaking of is a sacrificial love like Christ lived out for the church as we read in Ephesians 5.25 that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then it says, Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. And this probably brings up a familiar passage into your mind, Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If we read the Bible through the lens that our lives exist to glorify God, then the commands that he gives us are much easier to understand. Wives, you exist to glorify God. Husbands, you exist to glorify God. Children, you exist to glorify God. And as a side note, I find that most people who have the hardest time with these kinds of verses, the ones that define roles for men, women, children, employees, and so on, they've gotten distracted along the way by the world's self-focused message, when the reality of a central purpose for existing comes down to this. It's not about you. It's about glorifying God. And this all comes back to where we started. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. God demands the first and only place in our hearts. He cannot and will not share that position with you or anything else you desire to put there. My prayer for you is this, that you will daily acknowledge God for who he is. You don't have to place him on the throne as some teachers might encourage you to do. No, he's already there. All you have to do is live your life in light of that. In light of that reality, submitting everything to him, I pray that you will live for God, period. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. Ben Blakey will be back on August 25th. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.